Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. A proposal to develop a 32-unit condominium in Gosport, which is a part of Brighton, has many residents worried. It also has the mayor and councillors concerned. The location is next to a provincially protected wetland the developer, J.R.B. William Enterprises, wants to build on lands next to it zoned for residential. At a public meeting on January 16th, residents packed the community centre to make their concerns known. There were multiple presentations raising issues about everything from endangered species to impact on roads. There was also concerns raised about an archaeological discovery of items dating back to 600 A.D., belonging to Indigenous people. The speakers were not just neighbours, but a cross-section of people from Brighton. If that is not significant enough, this proposal is a test case. Also impacting the development is new provincial legislation introduced late in 2022 aimed at streamlining the development process. This is one of the first test cases in Northumberland. On today's show, you will hear from some residents and the mayor, Brian Orstrander, about this development as they walk through the challenges and the opportunities that lay ahead. I'm so pleased to have with me today Mark Bateman and Suzanne Scanlon, two residents of Brighton. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. There was a planning committee meeting on January 16th. It was well attended and there were many presentations from the public. However, before we get down deep in the weeds and start to try and parse all this out, I was wondering how you would characterize the overall response of residents to the proposal. Mark, let's start with you. How would you describe how people in Brighton are reacting to this proposed development? I think overall since the 16th and before I even speak, I want to just give you know, hats off to Suzanne and all the speaking at that meeting. They were well organized, well spoken and, and kudos to them because that, that level of engagement is like is something I love to see. It, it's almost a necessary evil. I hate to say it that way, but just to have the overall engagement is great. And on this one, it's, uh, I'm glad they did because otherwise the very next planning meeting would most likely be the decision-making meeting if it wasn't for them. And overall throughout the community, I think unwise development or development in general is on everybody's radar screen, good, bad, or indifferent. Suzanne, how about you? Um, I think uh, generally speaking, people have been opposed to this. I think a lot of people recognize um, the uh, the problems of building so close to the water. And we've just come out of uh, two 
horrendous floods back in 2017 and 2019. And so many people in the community were involved in sandbagging. And then they hear that a developer wants to build close to the water, 32 units squished onto a small parcel of land. I think a lot of people, not just people from Gosport, but people from the town, um, I think a lot were opposed already to it. And I think that's why we were able to get such a great turnout for the meeting on Monday. And then what they heard uh, confirmed their reactions, uh, confirmed their opposition to it. Suzanne, could you just tell us very briefly, what is the proposal that's on the table? Sure. Uh, there would be eight buildings, uh, condominiums, townhouse style, and in each of these eight buildings, there would be four units. Uh, for seven of the eight buildings, uh, they would be three stories high, and for the eighth building, it would be two stories high. Six of them would be fairly, six of the buildings um, would be fairly close to the water, and then the other two set back a little bit. They would also have their own driveway, um, a little a traffic circle at the end of it so people can come and, and go, don't have to back up to get out of it. Uh, and that would be an extension of Elgin Street East. Uh, there would be some landscaping as well. There's uh, a, I don't know if I would call it a driveway or a pathway leading down to Price Street East, the next uh, street south. And uh, that would be used, it's primarily intended for pedestrian access, but it could be used by emergency vehicles, apparently, if need be. So that's what we're looking at. Mark, would you be good enough to maybe give us a little bit of the broader context, some of the features that are around this? When you look at the, the mapping, and the most recent mapping was done by, well, in participation, Lower Trent Conservation Authority. I think it was done in 2020 is what I shared with the group. And there is provincially significant wetland there. There's marshland, there's wildlife, there's different species. There's so many things at play. And, and you know, first and foremost, I, I don't think anybody within this group is against development. Everybody throughout Brighton, when they speak out against this, we're against unwise development and building close to or partially in or in a significant wetland to me isn't necessary and I know we get caught up in the provincial policy statements and the new bill 23 with more homes more choice and the push for affordable housing and I 100% agree we need affordable housing but that's one of the things and you know Suzanne might be able to highlight that it's right in one of the reports that they check it off that this is not to be considered affordable housing and we, we talk about fitting into existing neighborhoods. When you're looking at a condominium complex, that's become, that's private. So the, the, it, it's not fitting into the traditional home style stuff down there where, because that's a generational neighborhood where everybody knows everybody and everybody get along with everybody. They all know each other's kids and families. And then you're gonna plunk condos in near or in a wetland that's all private. It, it just doesn't make sense. I also understand, though, too, that uh, the Preskill Yacht Club is down uh, very close to this uh, development. Um, also, uh, I understand that uh, it's uh, very close to the water as well, not just the wetland, but there, there's uh, water nearby. So uh, for people who maybe haven't been in Brighton, uh, this is sort of right down in uh, almost in the harbor area, if you were looking at a map, because I think the 
Priskill Park and the and the peninsula are, are are there as well. Am I correct in that, Mark? Uh, Suzanne, do you want to speak to the location of that next to the yacht club? Yeah, it is right next to the yacht club, and certainly one of the concerns that the yacht club has, if this project goes forward, is uh, people, the residents of these condos. Uh, coming onto the yacht club property, which can be dangerous you know, with uh, uh, trucks moving vehicles around and so on. And so they have concerns about people wandering over there thinking, woo, look what we have here. And it's, yeah. it's not set up to be that way. I'd like to come into to come back to that a little bit later. I'd really like to get down into the weeds. But before we do that, I am interested uh, in some of the presentations that were made. And, and Suzanne, you made one where you talked about council receiving a number of reports and you argued during your presentation that there are numerous errors in the official documents. Can you give us a couple of examples, not a lot, but a couple of examples and explain why these are significant and what you were trying to communicate? Sure, yeah. The, um, I did not look at all of the documents, but uh, pretty much for all the ones that I did, did look at, there were errors that, you know, somebody like me, I'm not an expert in this sort of thing. I was a high school teacher. I taught math and I was a guidance counselor. And yet I'm able to pick up on, on some of these errors. Um, they had incorrect street names. They used street names uh, that did not exist in the whole um, you know, municipality of Brighton, let alone Gosport. They mentioned Water Street and Front Street. We don't have a Water Street and Front Street. I think what happened was they probably uh, were uh, using another uh, project's report as a starting point and then just deleting the parts they didn't need, adding in what they were supposed to have, and then made mistakes. But then you start wondering, well, what other mistakes did they make? Um, because they were using somebody else's report as a starting point. Um, and that happened in, a, in another document as well. They referred to Durham Street South. We don't have a Durham Street South. Um, and anybody who's in Gosport would notice that. Um, we also noticed that, um, uh, oh, there were all sorts of errors. Um, what other one was there? Oh, they mentioned... Um, that uh, uh, they were in the traffic study. They mentioned uh, they were speaking about the visibility looking down Baldwin, which is the one street, one and only street that brings people into uh, Gosport, looking south on Baldwin and mentioned that you could see the end of the street uh, from the intersection. And it was very misleading wording. Yes, you can see the stop sign at the end of the street, but you can't see the street itself because there's a hill and beyond the hill, you cannot see the street. So I found that really misleading. Um, they, oh, the probably the best error I found um, was uh, uh, some photos. And this was in the geotechnical report. And they came to do a, uh, um, you know, visual observation, looking for hazards and whatnot and reporting on that. And they admitted in the report, they mentioned uh, that uh, visibility wasn't too great because it was snow covered. So, of course, you wonder, well, why are they choosing to do this sort of a study on a day when there's snow covering the ground? Um, and then they showed some pictures 
of the sorts of things they were seeing, and they put a date on it of December 7th of 2021. They also included pictures looking down uh, two streets, Elgin Street, which is the one most impacted by this uh, project, and the next street south, which is Price Street. So there are pictures uh, aimed down these streets. We could see recycling boxes in them. Well, we don't do recycling on a Tuesday. That picture was apparently taken on a Tuesday. That's the date that was on it, on these pictures, uh, uh, Tuesday, December 7th. We do recycling on Thursday and sometimes on Friday. So you wonder what's going on there. Why do they have a wrong date? Did they just not get good enough pictures on the date they came? Or were, did they forget to take pictures and came back two days later? Um, did they come back the two days later because the some of the snow had melted so, uh, or, or, you know, what's going on. So it, it was interesting. Lot, lots of things that need to be corrected then. Uh, Mark, I, I wanted to ask you uh, about another concern that was raised by a lot of people, and that was the environmental assessment. And the development has submitted a document that is meant to address these concerns. What are residents worried about when it comes to the um, environmental aspects of this? I think the concern for residents in Gosport and all across Brighton, and I would I would suggest all across Ontario, is we're not supposed to build in floodplains. We should not be building in wetlands. And you shouldn't rezone environmentally protected land to please somebody that wants to put something up. If it's environmentally, environmentally protected, you know, it, it was done done for a reason. So there would have to be rezoning done to allow it to go. So I, I would be uncomfortable if I was there to vote on something to switch it from environmentally protected. Why? It's not gonna give us affordable housing. It's not gonna fit into the existing neighborhood. There's no, no studies to say whether it will impact negatively on any of the wildlife there, you know, like Suzanne had touched on, we had severe flooding in 2017 and 2019, and it was brought up in the meeting that where do these species go when the water gets high? You know, they can't go if we pave it over and put a house on it, right? Or a condo in this in this case. So I, I just think there's a, there's a lot of unanswered questions. And the other assessment that stood out, and you might want to touch on it later, I don't, hopefully I'm not jumping the gun, was the ar archaeological assessment. And I, I believe there was artifacts found that dated 600 AD. And to me, that is a huge aspect of this. Even if everything else and all the boxes were checked, Gosport is a generational neighborhood now with a lot of history to it. And when you discover something like that, that even takes the history back. And I think that that should be one of the focuses. Let, let's, un, let's unearth that history. Let's not uh, bulldoze over and you know slap some concrete on it. That, that, that's not how we should be treating our history. You know, we, I, I know there's a lot of pressure from the province, from the federal government, because we need more homes, but we need to build them in the right spot. And we need affordable homes. Because when you listen, they always say we want people to have the opportunity to purchase their first home. Well, this doesn't fall into that category. And a lot of the homes that are being built in areas don't really fall into that category. It's time we stop building McMansions and start building houses and homes that people can afford to get into in the appropriate place. 
and this this just isn't the appropriate place. And again, I keep saying it. Kudos to that entire group because they highlighted stuff to show that this was flawed. And that's the scary aspect for me, and I think all residents, not just in Brighton, I, I feel for some of them because you're under a lot of pressure to make decisions when it comes time. But when you have reports handed in that should have been vetted by the developer and you find mistakes, whether they're big or small, it really brings a lot of doubt into, and uh, I, I don't want to use the word mistrust, but you're supposed to be able to trust. And it took residents and I'm glad they did to find all these errors, no matter what size they are. Mark, you also mentioned the archaeological report, and I I was very interested in that too, because um, I guess there was three different digs. Did I understand that correctly? I mean, Suzanne, Mark, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there has been three digs on this site already, and they want to do a fourth one to further study just exactly the cultural significance because they've found artifacts, as you said, that are pre-contact. The, this archaeological group is recommending further study. What is your sense of, of other, other residents and their feelings around the cultural significance of this? Oh, people want, uh, want to pursue this and want to do it properly and uh, you know, not desecrate this area by bulldozing it over um, would like time to investigate it properly. And um, I know what I would like is for this property to actually become a tribute to the people who fished um, in this area, the indigenous people who fished there, the, um, uh, the settlers who fished here and so on. Uh, that's what I would like to see, uh, you know, pay proper tribute to the groups of people who used it first. I could just skip back to the archeological assessment. Oh, absolutely, please. I, I, I just think that's extremely important that we ensure that we're doing the right thing. But I also believe that uh, we have an obligation to consult with the First Nations. You know, First Nations should be consulted on all development. And then when something significant like that's been found, I do believe we have an obligation to, you know, contact Alderville and the Bay of Quinney. Mohawks of the Bay of Quinney to let them know. And we have a history of that in the municipality already. There was another development a few years back that they found artifacts on. And I think it was over at least two summers when I talked to that developer and it was an outside company, not the developer, an outside group had to come in and sift through everything. And then when they signed off that they were satisfied that they removed everything that they were going to remove then he was given the go-ahead to proceed and at the very least that's what should be done here but I don't think anything should be done without the blessing of Alderville and the Mohawks of the Bay of Quinney. Very good point thanks for bringing it up. Another group that came up and talked quite a bit at the meeting was the Yacht Club and you referenced this earlier Suzanne um, but they're talking about concerns uh, about land that they hold that's specific for the dredging that they do to maintain the harbor. Uh, either of you be able to explain um, why this land is important? I'm uh, not really familiar. I understand it's done about every five years um, and they dredge up the silt and it sounds like they 
put it on their property to dry out uh, and they need to do it to maintain a, a channel that's deep enough for the boats to come in and out of the harbor. Um, so that's my understanding of it, but I'm not a member of the Yacht Club, so I can't say for sure. I, I do believe that's accurate, Suzanne, because of the depth of the underneath of the these boats, they need that done. Mm -hmm. Mark, uh, can you tell me about this petition that went around? I understand there's something like 1,100 uh, signatures on it, and then there was another one that was online. Can you tell me about that? Uh, I know they've submitted the one petition a while, but I, I can't recall the exact number of signatures on it. And I, I know they've done a tremendous job. It was actually at a meeting before January 16th, I think the petition came up, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct, Suzanne? Because I remember, I think it was in December meeting, were they originally or maybe early January where they brought up the petition and there was some question on whether one was handed in, but I think they have found it. And, you know, there's been good response, but Suzanne, you might be able to touch on it because I know you were uh, yep. it, uh, contact I people. It, I think it was first brought up at uh, the December meeting and uh, uh, there was some confusion over who it had been submitted or to. Uh, nobody seemed to have received it. And so that's why uh, the... Uh, handwritten one and the online one were submitted in person uh, at the meeting on the 16th, just to make sure. And so to get that, uh, people went around uh, to get the hand uh, signed one. People went door to door. Um, I think they somebody stood outside one of the grocery stores or maybe both of them uh, to get people to sign uh, and to bring an awareness of what was being proposed. There was a lot of reports and there was a lot of presentations. We've talked only about a few items. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you think is significant that people should know about this development? Do you have anything you'd like to add? I think most of the details from what was presented from both the developer and from the uh, group that spoke on the 16th, I think covered everything. I think what stood out to everybody was, prior to the meeting, what stood out to everybody is, is that group was so well organized and they started looking through the reports and I think everybody was a little shocked at finding, you know, different errors. I've seen that before and, and everybody makes mistakes. I make them, you make them, Suzanne makes them. We all make mistakes, but when you're talking stuff like this development, major development, semi-major development, that stuff needs to be presented as a complete application. And that's what's happened with this one. And that's why they're a bit on a, a timeline now, because I think the date they used was February 11th, and that's probably the expiry date on the, you know, the first submission of it. And then if council has a no decision or doesn't, it, it can go to LPAT. But I think that onus should be on the developer, because if you want to build and you want to do something, you have to submit a complete application. And to me, a complete application should be one without the errors. We all make mistakes, but catch that in the draft when you're drawing it up and then you pass it on. Suzanne being a teacher, she knows exactly where I'm coming from in the sense that you, if you write an essay, you always have somebody read it over and circle your mistakes before you submit it to the professor, right? So for a developer to submit something 
with big errors and, and small ones, misnamed streets and everything else, that, that plants the seed of doubt in people's heads because we're always told, trust the professionals, trust the professionals. Then we want to, but then you have to submit, you know, accurate information because any council, whether it's Brighton's or wherever, they're, they're, they're tasked with making a decision and the decision has to be made on the best information available. Well, we need the best information available. Otherwise, you're making decisions based on flawed information, and that, that's not going to help anybody. And it's passed through too many eyes. It should not have taken the residents to find those glaring errors. I'm glad they did because it's put a spotlight on development and where, where some of these developments are trying to be built because I keep going back. It should not be built near a provincially significant wetland wildlife area. We're all always watching the news, whether it's Greta Thornburg or any other activist is talking about environmental anything, and yet we're allowing it to happen or is going to happen in different areas. We have to stop that. I know we need more homes and all that stuff, but it's got to be in the right place. Development has to be responsible development and built where it makes sense. I think sometimes we spend so much time on the could, we don't think long enough on whether we should. Suzanne, is there other points you'd like to add? Well, there was concern raised about the condition of the roads and whether Baldwin Street, and that's the one that brings the one and only route in and out of Gosport, and whether it was up to all the construction vehicles and traffic that would be coming on through. And uh, it's already has some significant cracking. Um, it sounds like it's not being drained properly. And uh, that's what's causing that. And and uh, it comes down through the middle of marshland. And so to mess with the marshland, the wetlands uh, is really iffy. And like I said, can it uh, manage to survive the, uh, uh, the uh, strains put on it by construction traffic? Uh, and if it doesn't survive that, then who pays for it? Is that on the taxpayer or is the builder going to be paying for it. Um, we also, with the uh, provincially significant wetlands, and not all wetlands are provincially significant. Uh, that's a special designation for the most important ones. Ontario has 6% of the um, significant wetlands uh, globally. Uh, so about one out of every 16, uh, I hope my math is correct, is, uh, is what we have of, of the world's wetlands and they are incredibly important for the survival of the wildlife. We have a number of species at risk that are in this provincially significant wetland, uh, threatened and endangered, and they're supposed to be protected, not only the animals, but their habitat. And what is being proposed is going to threaten that. At the very least, there will be all sorts of light pollution. And that's what Doug McRae uh, spoke about. Uh, and he's a very highly respected uh, naturalist. He uh, was the naturalist at Presqu'ile Provincial Park, which is very close to us. Uh, he was the naturalist there, I think, for decades. Um, but certainly highly respected. And he spoke at the meeting about the light pollution coming from three floors of uh, building. Uh, and there would actually be 24 units right close to the water. So 24 units, three floors each of light and sound. 
uh, pollution coming across the wetland. And uh, that impacts on the feeding, the breeding, the sleeping patterns, the protection from predators, all these things. And we do know that we have threatened species in there and endangered species as well. Um, we're also concerned about the flooding. Uh, the town currently requires a 10 meter setback uh, with the zoning change, I believe uh, it would become three meters of setback. Well, we know that there will be more flooding in the future. There will be erosion happening. Um, is three meters going to be enough? Uh, and I believe, uh, and Mark, uh, I think I heard it from you, um, that the uh, federal minister of the environment has said that the federal government will not bail out communities that are built in floodplains. And, uh, um, and I believe that was in response to this new uh, bill that came from uh, the provincial government. And so there won't, won't be any rescue operations coming from the, uh, the federal government for that. Uh, and so one of the other concerns we had, there's a, quite a few trees on the property currently. This is where the bats um, live and uh, they are endangered. And yet there was no formal tree report or tree plan uh, submitted. There was supposed to be, but there wasn't one. Um, and uh, so there's certainly a lot of concerns about this project. From an outside perspective, looking in, some people might think this is nimbyism. This is not in my backyard. And, and of course, we hear about this and people talk down about it. What makes this different? Why is this not nimbyism? Okay, yeah, we had quite a few people, uh, quite a few townsfolk um, out who were concerned about this. That you know, this is not their backyard. It's uh, you know, Gosport is a peninsula sticking out into uh, Presqu'isle Bay, um, but a number of them are concerned about the environment and the um, archaeological dig results and so on. And so they came out in support, and uh, there were quite a few there that I recognized. Um, so I would say based on the support of the people outside of Gosport, it's not a case of NIMBY. Mark, how about you? I, I would agree with that 100%. And that's one of the things when we've met several times we, prior to them presenting at council and everybody agreed. And we actually, uh, I had set up a call with a gentleman from uh, Environmental Defense who was very helpful. And he stressed that as well. He wanted to stay away from not in my backyard. and. Again, kudos to that entire group because you, you watched the meeting yourself. It did not come across at all that they were talking about not in my backyard. They did a great job. Everything that was presented, they stuck to presenting what the expert presented and just showing mistakes in what we're supposed to be reading. Nobody presented as an expert. They just took the reports and said, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. This is inaccurate. So nobody presented as an expert. Nobody touched on not in my backyard. Everybody is just approaching this as you want to build something where it shouldn't be built. And, and that's the approach that you need to take because that's the only approach that will work, right? If it, if it was a situation where it did go to LPAT, they're not going to listen to anybody talk about not in my backyard. So you have to argue, again, from a position of facts and I think they did a great job of doing that. Suzanne, what is 
your expectation about how council needs to proceed? Oh, uh, good question. Well, I don't know about an expectation, but certainly I'm hoping uh, that we opened enough eyes and that enough realized uh, that they can't take reports at face value um, and, uh, and that they have enough uh, information coming from the peer reviews uh, that they can vote no to this proposal. Mark, how about you? I, I agree with that 100%, and it's probably even more important now with the changes that have come, you know, with some aspects of Bill 23 and also, you know, the, the section or a different bill that changed the scope or clipped the wings, as some people will say, of all the conservation authorities, because, you know, Suzanne has touched on the wildlife, the species at risk, the turtles and this and that that's all been stripped away from the conservation authorities for lack of better word. So now we need more than ever accurate non-biased reports so that somebody has got to be protecting these because you know, who was doing it before, it's really not their, their core mandate anymore and they're not getting funded to do it. So somebody has got to do it. I'm glad the uh, residents read through those reports, highlighted all that stuff, but that's the type of stuff, whether the you know, the developments in Brighton or wherever it takes place, those things have to be presented and the reports have to be accurate and take everything into consideration because we don't have that oversight. I don't think we do with the changes that have been made to protect these species because I think that they've been identified some at risk. I'm not sure if there's any endangered. Once that stuff is gone, it's gone. Once we pave over stuff, it's paved over. You don't get, you don't get the turn back, right? Mark Baton. Suzanne Scanlon, thank you so much for talking to me today. Well, thanks so much for having us. Always happy to talk about this subject. No, I appreciate it. The, the more eyes and ears that are on this topic here in Gosport and all over, the better. That was Suzanne Scanlon and Mark Bateman, two Brighton residents concerned about the Gosport development proposal. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in. And I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at Consider this Northumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.